The word says we're called to make disciples. We're growing in the word of God. Jesus Christ was sent to be our saviour. This is the Bromley Town Church Podcast. We pray God speaks to you through this message, blessing you as you live out God's word. Stream or download other sermon podcasts via the Bromley Town Church website or by using the SoundCloud app. Head over to BromleyTownChurch.com. The diary of a disciple is the story of Luke. So he, as Luke is writing down his information, he's having his diary. And it's a great way of looking, actually, and that's the way it's been written. Here is a guy, he's, he's noting down those things that he's noticed that Jesus has been doing. And, of course, we come into a, a passage that is quite familiar to us, the Lord's Prayer, and then this story about this man knocking on his neighbor's door at midnight. But first, before I get into that, I just want to talk a little bit about culture. When you were born, and you could have been born in any particular country, but wherever you were born, you were born into a culture, a way of life, a way of upbringing, a way of going about things that was particular to your culture. So I was brought up here in England. In fact, I was born in Bromley. So Bromley is my culture. This is the culture that I've been brought up in. And there's many things that just seem right to me. But some of you from other nations or other cultures might think, why do they do that exactly? But for us, it's almost like you don't even notice it. It just becomes part of you. The thing is, it becomes so much part of you that actually, if you start and ask yourself the question, what is my culture? Uh, You don't really know because it's so much part of you. It's what you do. It's right for you. But if you ask somebody from another culture, if they've noticed things about your culture, then they say, well, yeah, I've noticed this, that, and the other. So anyway, I looked up on the internet, what do people think or know or see in the British culture? So here are some of the things they they put up. And people say these are the top five values that they've noticed about the British cultural heritage. Uh, First of all, they say that democracy is very important to us. Well, actually, that's true. I mean, you know, the way we go about our elections, the way we go about our government, democracy is important to us. The rule of law is important to us. What is the rule of law? The rule of law says that it, it's, things are done according to the laws of the land, and we uphold the laws of the land by the way we do, do things. So hang on, hang on, that's not quite the right way of doing it. That would be the sort of thing that would come out, because that's not the way we do things in this land. So the rule of law is important to us. Individual liberty is important to us. Mutual respect, respecting other people's views is important to us. And there, the last one is this tolerance, this idea of tolerating people's religious beliefs, different faiths, different ways of going about things. There's a great deal of tolerance in this culture, more so than some other cultures. So those are some of the things that people have noticed. And you know what? Those are things that are just part of us, so much so that you don't always notice them. It's part of our culture. But what if you hadn't been born in England, but you'd been born in Israel in the time of Jesus? Would there have been a different culture? Well, there would have been a culture that surrounded that time, that place, the way things were were done in that time. So yes, there were some things that were different. And you know what? One of those things that was particular about the culture of Israel at Jesus' time, and it's not just Israel, but that whole region, is the culture of hospitality. Hospitality was held in a high regard. And you would understand that actually you want to be hospitable to a visitor. So if you had a visitor... 
to your town, to your village, to your home, it would be expected of you, you would provide food for that person. But not only would you provide food for that person, you'd welcome into your house, you'd provide a meal for them, and you would listen to what they had to say because you wanted to honor them, honor them with being looked after, honor them with what they had to say. You wanted to honor them because the whole idea of the culture was that you wanted somebody to leave your home with the understanding, that was great. I was looked after. I was respected. I was blessed. That's how they want you as a visitor to feel. And because that's as an individual, it wasn't just as an individual, this was the culture. So if a person came to your village and you weren't able to look after them, well, your next door neighbor would look after them because it's not only the culture of the individual people, it's our culture. This is what we do. We welcome people. We look after people. We want people to feel respected and honored so that when they leave us, then that... They, they leave with a good taste in their mouth. They leave with a good feeling about us. They're encouraged. And they leave our village saying, that was a great village. So here we are. And I've just given you that as a bit of background because we're coming to a story here. And as we read this story, and as I've preached from this story, this about the knocking on the door, I've preached it very much from a cultural perspective of here. That's not entirely wrong. But there's an additional understanding that we can gain when we look at it through the eyes of the culture of Jesus' time. And the story reads, as we know, there's a guy who's come and he's come to his friend and he's come into his friend's house. So he's, the man in the village has received this guest into his home. I haven't got enough to give to him. Now, this is a bit of a disaster because my culture says I need to feed him. So he's already in a bit of a tight predicament. So what does he do? He goes next door, and of course we know that it's late at night. So he goes next door, and he knocks on his neighbor's door, and he's knocking away there, and he's asking if he's got some food. And of course we're hearing the fact that his neighbor is actually saying he's asleep, and I've commented on this before. How does he speak when he's asleep? But anyway, you know, this is a story. It's just giving an understanding. Here he is. He's talking in this. Oh, I can't get out of my bed. I don't want to get out of my bed. The doors are locked. The children are here with me. They're asleep. So forget it. So he's saying those things. But then you see, while he's lying in his bed, I don't think he was under a duvet because I think it was hot, by the way. Okay. I expect many of you haven't been sleeping under the duvet recently because it's been so hot. So you know what it's like. So we're understanding a culture from a heat perspective. But here he was. He's there. He's asleep. He's saying he's asleep. Everybody's sorted out. But while he's lying in his bed, you see something kicks in to him about the way that he's been brought up. Because he's not allowed just to sit there and say, like, well, it's true. I am in bed. It's true, the door is locked. It's true, my children are asleep. All of that is true, but my culture tells me, you can't stay like that. Your friend is saying he's got a guest, and what do we do with guests? We do not want to dishonor our culture. Therefore, I must get up, and I must help my friend, even though it's late. And that's the perspective that Jesus is saying. So when Jesus is telling this story... It's as though he's asking this question of the listening crowd. It's as though he's saying to the crowd around him, can any of you imagine having a guest and going to a neighbor to borrow bread and your neighbor gives ridiculous excuses about the fact that the door is locked and his children are asleep? And the crowd would have answered, no, we can't imagine that because it's not culture for us to do that we would be dishonoring what is actually part of us 
Of course we'd get up. Of course we'd do that. It's not that there aren't obstacles in the way, because they are all saying, we know what the obstacles are. The door's shut. It's late at night. The kids are asleep. I'm feeling tired. I've had a rough day. I don't want to do that. But because of my culture, I am actually going to get up and I'm going to help out. And that's the point that Jesus wants to drive home in this story. He's been talking about a method of prayer. Teach us to pray. So here's a way of praying. But now he's moved on. He wants to actually tell them more. He wants to give the point of this. Listen, when you come to pray, you're coming to pray to a father. If you like, his culture is to answer your prayers. You need to understand. Are there objections? Are there opposition? Yeah, yeah, yeah. The door's locked. Kids are in bed. I don't want to get out of bed. There are plenty of resistances, but you need to understand the bottom line. The understanding that Jesus is trying to get across is this. The heart of the Father is that he doesn't want to be dishonored, if you could use that phrase. I'm not going to represent myself outside of my culture. I'm going to do what I am. I am God Almighty, and I want to answer your prayers. Wow. Can you feel that there's a sense of like that? Wow, this should give me encouragement to press in. Because it's not about just my perseverance, which is an angle. There is perseverance there. Keep pressing. But it's not just about perseverance. That rests upon me. The understanding that Jesus wants to get across is, listen, please will you understand the heart of the Father that is for you. He wants you to pray. He wants you to persist in prayer. He wants you to come to him. But he wants you to come to him knowing that he is a God who answers. And he wants to give you answers. Now I know some of you might be sitting there thinking like, but it doesn't seem to be like that. And that it doesn't seem to be like that, which is often what blocks us in our understanding towards God. The point that Jesus is trying to say is, let me just paint a fresh picture of what God is like for you. God is somebody who does not want to break a culture. He wants to act culturally relevant to you. He wants to be there for you. He wants to actually help you. Because, you know, if we tell that story in our culture, there's the guy, the door's locked, because the friend's knocking there. Can you give me some bread? Did you notice what the time is? It's late. I'm asleep. I'm in bed. The door's locked. The kids are in bed. I'm not getting up to give you anything. And in our culture, we say, oh, I, I actually understand that. It's ridiculous that I'm actually here at this time of night. I'm terribly sorry. I'm terribly sorry. I must accept that, you know, there's tolerance. And therefore, I'll go away. And I'll leave him. Now, hello. You see, our culture, and I'm trying to make a point here, obviously. Our culture can say to us, God isn't interested. And we're using the objections and saying, we understand those objections. They're very real and they're very relevant. And I don't like being annoyed in the middle of the night or woken up in the middle of the night. I want peaceful sleep right the way through. Well, we all want peaceful sleep right the way through. But I didn't get that. But that misses the heart of the Father. The heart of the Father is there may be objections. But his heart is to say, hey, I'm here for you. And I want to answer your prayers. That is the picture that Jesus is trying to get across. And that is what he's trying to say. I want you to have confidence. Because, of course, he goes on to say this. Ask, 
Ask and you will receive. The picture here is of having confidence in God who is culturally set to answer your prayers and to help you. That's the picture that he's painting. And now he's going on to underline it again by saying, listen, ask and you will receive. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be answered to you. It will be open to you. Nipping back into my culture and my understanding, sometimes I say, God, you don't understand. I have prayed. I have knocked. My knuckles are actually sore from knocking on that door. And nothing seems to be giving. So therefore, I am assuming that you are a God who does not or will not answer these prayers. And so I want to go away and leave him to it. And if you like, this morning what Jesus is trying to say to all of us is, please, please, will you stop? Just holding into your culture and come into the culture that I have is that I am a father who loves his children. And now Jesus is just wanting to underline that point again because he's actually appealing to the whole crowd. And he's saying, listen, who have you got kids? Uh, have you got kids? Yeah, well, you'll understand this. If your child comes to you and says, mom, dad, I'm hungry, which they do often. I was out with my grandchildren yesterday and the word, can I have a snack? I did hear it once or twice. In fact, actually, I did at one point mention to my granddaughter that I'd heard enough of that and it was time for us just not to worry because we will get fed eventually. But you know what kids are like? They're after food. They want food. And the point he's making is, look, you, and, and Jesus is not trying to be rude, but he's saying, look, look, you're good, but you're not as good as God. Okay? But if you lot, who are not as good as God, but you still got the heart for that to give to your children. Please can I just take it up a level and say, God who is gooder than you. I know that's not the right way of saying it, but you know what I mean. God who is on a higher standard, his heart is to say, how much more do I want to give the Holy Spirit to those who ask? How much more do I want to help those who are coming to me? This is the point that Jesus is trying to get across, which to a degree we can lose out. Now, if you say, look, Jonathan, you've got all that understanding by reading books. That is true. So true, in fact. But I have a friend who I connect with every now and again who's an Egyptian. And so actually I had a conversation with him this week and, I, and he wanted to talk to me about something. And I just said to him, stop, Hanny, can I just ask you a question? According to your culture, tell me about hospitality. So he says, well, our culture still is the same today. It's very similar to what it was in Jesus' time. That it's very important for us that if a guest comes to our house, that we have to give them food. And not only that, we need to sit down and listen to what they have to say. That is our culture. This is where Jesus was coming from. This is the culture of heaven. This is the culture of the Father who is in heaven. But as I say to you, if I look at it from my eyes, sometimes it's like, ah, oh, I understand. You're asleep. I, I, I better not bother you. I've got to stop letting my culture affect his culture. And I've got to let God do his work in my life. So please, let's just take hold of that. We must have confidence in the one that we are approaching. You know, Andrew Murray, in one of his books, or in his book, Absolute Surrender, he says this. He says, the great hindrance to trust is self-effort. So long as you have your own wisdom and your own thoughts and strength, you cannot fully trust God. And often, even with this idea of persevering, if we hold on to the idea of persevering, that's what we need to do. And we need to persevere. And there is truth in that. But it can get to the point where it's all about us. 
As long as I'm... Do you realize how hard I've been at this prayer? Do you realize how many times I've been knocking? Do you realize... It's not about me. It's about the God who wants to answer me. And sometimes I can get lost in my own ideas, in my own sort of self-effort and self-workings that I can forget to put trust in God. The message that I want you all to hear from this uh, story this morning is simply this. Our job is to trust in a God whose culture is to want to answer our prayers. That is where he is coming from. Now, I just want to talk about another story. You know, in the Bible, in, uh, in John's Gospel, in fact, in John's Gospel, it says this, John 17, 3. Jesus says, this is eternal life. This is eternal life that you know the only true God and Jesus Christ whom he has sent. This is eternal life. So we talk about eternal life. For some of us saying, oh, I prayed a prayer of salvation. No, no, no. Eternal life is this, is that we know God and Jesus Christ whom he has sent. We know him. We walk with him. We have faith in him. We have confidence in him. When we're in that position, we are gaining the life of Christ and that life comes in us and flows out of us. That gives life to us. It gives strength to us. That is eternal life and we can operate in this world with that eternal life. There is that simple sense of trusting. John 4, 46 to 53. Let me just read you this story. It's about an official son. As he traveled through Galilee, he came to Cana, where he had turned the water into wine. This is talking about Jesus. There was a government official in in, in nearby Capernaum whose son was very sick. When he heard, that is the government official, when he heard that Jesus had come from Judea to Galilee, he went and begged Jesus to come to Capernaum to heal his son, who was about to die. Now, it's a serious situation. And we know this is a situation of the doctors. Hey, I've been to the doctors. Nobody seems to be helping. My son is sick and he's getting worse and he's about to die. I need help. It's the heart of a father who's loving his child and is desperate. Jesus is coming. He's some way off, but the father's going. I need to go and get Jesus. We need him here. That's what he's saying. So he comes to Jesus. Jesus says this. He says, will you never believe in me unless you see miraculous signs and wonders? The official pleaded, Lord, please, come now before my little boy dies. There is urgency in this father's voice. Jesus told him, go back home, your son will live. And the man believed what Jesus said and started home. While the man was on his way, some of his servants met him with the news that his son was alive and well. He asked them, when? He asked them when the boy had begun to get better. And they replied, yesterday afternoon at one o'clock, his fever suddenly disappeared. Then the father realized that this was the very time that Jesus had told him, your son will live. And he and his entire household believed in Jesus. We understand the position of the father. The father was desperate because his son was sick. And he wanted to get something sorted out for his son. And he'd heard about Jesus. This is the way. This is the man who can help me. I must go to him. So he put all that effort in and he went to Jesus. But Jesus is there and he's talking to the crowds and he's got this father there. And he's saying, what's the matter with you lot? Why do you always want to see signs? It's almost like, why do you want to have proof? Why won't you just believe? What is it about you? Why do you always want to test things out? And when I hear that, I'm hearing part of my culture. My culture wants to test God out. And I want to test him. And if he proves right, then I'll believe you. 
But that's not the culture of the kingdom of heaven. Jesus is saying, believe, trust, take hold of. You can't see God, but you need to trust him. Somebody, where is he? But you're trusting in who he is and believing in who he is that he can do the things that only he can do in our lives. And so this father was hearing this, and I don't know what gone, but something suddenly changed within him. When Jesus says, go home, your son is better, he took Jesus at his word. There suddenly something came. I'm not acting in my culture anymore. I'm not going to test you out, Jesus. I'm not going to demand anything from you, Jesus. If you said it, I'll receive it. And so he went. I don't know what the situation was. Well, like, Oh, oh, you're not going with Jesus? Has he just left? Or you know, you can imagine the disciples having some sort of conversation. Where's that guy gone? Has he? He just took Jesus at his word. He went home. But of course, the story doesn't finish there because, as we hear, when he eventually meets his servants and his servants are excited, hey, your boy's got better. Everything's good. Well done. It's all okay. There's no need to. He finds out that it's actually the moment when Jesus speaks that everything was answered. It causes me just to think like, God, where is my faith? Where is my trust? Am I dealing too much with my culture, the things that I'm so used to, the stuff that holds me so tightly because it's so much part of the way I do life? And it's not just acceptable to me, it's acceptable to everybody around me because we're all living in the same culture. Sure, we've got some different perspectives, but we're all under this cultural barrier. But we need to just come to Jesus and say, look, oh God, he is a God who answers prayer. And he wants us to come to him. And he wants us to uh, answer him. Oh, wow. I just need to tell the story very quickly. I want to tell you the story of Augustine. Augustine was a man who lived 354 to 430 AD. So we're talking about right at the very early uh, part of Christianity in the world of those days, in the Roman world of that day. And some would actually say that uh, apart from Jesus Christ and Paul the Apostle, then actually Augustine was probably the most influential figure on, in the history of, of Christianity. He was a powerful preacher, he was a powerful uh, teacher, and his theology and the way that he developed theology really became one of the main pillars of the church for the next thousand years. So you can see a hugely influencing guy, but things didn't start that way. He had a mum, well, we all have mums, uh, and his mum's name was Monica. Monica was a devout Christian. So she'd come through those early days of Christianity. She had understood what it was to be a Christian, and she lived as a Christian woman in this household. His dad wasn't a Christian. He was unsaved. And his dad actually died when he was a teenager. And this, he was living in uh, North Africa. That's where he was brought up. Uh, as he grew up as a teenager, then he got into the sorts of things that teenagers uh, got it, get into in our culture which is not, wasn't sex, drugs, and rock and roll, but it was certainly the sex and actually quite a lot of interest in just hedonism. That was actually his lifestyle as he was growing up. Mum thought it would be a good idea that he went off to college. Often mums do think that. So he was sent off to Carthage, which is in Tunisia, modern-day Tunisia. And there he got himself immersed in the writings and teachings of some of the philosophers of his time. These didn't help 
in terms of what his mum wanted him to follow. And actually, by the time he came home, he had started to teach some sort of dualistic Christianity. In other words, there was a, there was a teaching that had a hint of Christianity about it, but it was taking people off the wrong path, and it was very much into the philosophers of his age, and his mum was really annoyed and really cross with him and threw him out of the house. However, she didn't stop praying for him. She constantly cried out to God, I want my son to be saved. That was the cry of the mother's heart. Augustine gets offered a job in Rome. He's actually got a mistress. He's had a, a, a child by this mistress for some years. He secretly goes off to Rome to do this job. Doesn't tell his mum. You, know, you can imagine all the, the circumstances surrounding this. Eventually his mum finds out and after a number of years he's actually moved from Rome to Milan and Milan being the center point of sort of teaching of the time in that area he became very famous in his rhetoric and his teaching and uh, he didn't marry this mistress because that would have upset things politically for him or wouldn't have looked good socially mum arrives on the scene still praying for him still desperate to see him changed she manages to get rid of the mistress and breaks that relationship that's gone Right, now, I'm going to get you a wife. So she gets him a wife, but he's not going to be married for two years, so he just starts sleeping with his uh, fiancée. Mum, what is going on here? And this is years and years ago, but life, this, this could be right up to date. Maybe there's mums here that are praying for their children because of exactly the same situations. But she didn't stop praying. In Milan, he actually started going to the cathedral, which was a good thing, because he actually enjoyed the bishop of the cathedral, whose name was Ambrose. He enjoyed the fact of his ability to teach and preach. And there was something about the way he could preach that he really encouraged him. And he wanted to become a better preacher and teacher, so that's why he went to the cathedral. It wasn't really for anything else. But you know what? Within Augustine... Augustine did wrestle with some of the things that he was going through and he particularly was sad when this mistress left and there were problems there and he kept on remembering that there had been an event in his life where as a young boy they had broken into somebody's uh, uh, farm area and they'd stolen some pears to, and it wasn't to eat the pears for themselves, they just wanted to steal this man's pears so they could have something to throw at the pigs that were also in his garden. And somehow that sort of struck him. His mum was confused about where he was going in his life. He continued to live this rather uh, sexualized uh, lifestyle and had nothing to do with Christianity. And his mum was desperate, but she kept praying for him. But there came a day when Augustine was wrestling with his thoughts about the past and was concerned about some of the things that he'd done, particularly this issue about stealing these pears and throwing them to the pigs. I know, that's obviously what the story is. Suddenly, it says, Augustine heard a child's sing-song voice in his head, and it said, take up and read. And he kept having this phrase go over in his mind. And there on the table in front of him lay a collection of Paul's letters that he had been reading. So he picked them up, and he started to read the first thing that he came across, and he read this, not reveling, not in reveling and drunkenness, not in lust and wantonness, not in quarrels and rivalries, Rather, arm yourselves with the Lord Jesus Christ. Spend no more thought on how to gratify the sinful nature. And he later wrote, No further would I read, nor need I read. For instantly at the end of this sentence, a light as it were of peace filled my heart, and all the darkness of doubt 
vanished away and he became saved and the rest, if you like, is history. The point I wanted to make is this. His mum had to believe that God is a God who answers prayer. But she didn't give up. She persevered. And that situation it touches my heart for members that I can think of in my own family uh, group, as I'm sure there are people in your family groups. But it touches our hearts to say this. Come on. Let's take hold of the culture of heaven. We have a God who wants to answer our prayers. We have a God who is looking for us to go to him. We have a God who wants us to remember, to ask, to seek, to not. We have a God who wants to give good gifts. And even though we're bad and we understand how that works with our own children, he is better than that. And he wants us to remember those things so that we can trust in him, bring him the things of our hearts, and see him answer our prayers. So that's the story about Augustine. It's worth reading some more about that. We've got some more to say, but we'll be coming back next week with some more of the story. Thank you for listening to this message from Bromley Town Church. You are always welcome to visit us on a Sunday morning or join us again for more messages here online. You can also stay connected with us at www.bromleytownchurch.com.